0: all right good afternoon everybody welcome back to the beauty and the beast physical therapy and strength and conditioning podcast joined as always by my co-host dr ross childs
1: how's everyone doing today i hope everyone's been appreciating the warmer weather um you know and and it's a great time for everyone to to get outside today adam and i are going to be talking about uh the core uh it seems to be something that we've touched upon but we really want to dig into it a a little bit more today and and hopefully kind of demystify what people think uh, the core does for us, what it exactly is, and and what we can do to actually have more effective training.
0: Yeah, I think this one is something that comes up a lot, especially for, you know, me, people coming in because they've been told that they have a weak core. So it it usually is in response to back pain. Mm -hmm. Um, But a lot of most people don't actually know what I don't want to say don't know what that means, but essentially can't really pinpoint. They've been told they have a bad core. For most people, core is, you know, the the muscles that they see on the dude selling the, you know, get get slim quick, you yeah, know, the, DVD the six, package the six, set, pack, the six, six pack, right? But there's so much more. And in fact, like those muscles are probably some of the least important. when When we're talking about specifically the mechanics in relation to pain and support and all that stuff. But that's what most people think of. So this is kind of to try and help people understand, you know, what they should be doing. I, I don't know if you've had this happen, but I've had people where, you know, they've been coming in for three weeks and they've been doing loaded carries, anti-rotation presses. And we'll, and we'll define more what these are later on. So for those of you that don't know what I mean, um, and they're, you know, they'll still come up and be like, oh, my doctor said I need to do more core exercises. When are we going to do more core? Oh, yeah. You know, and it's it's just because they don't. They don't really understand that that stuff that we're doing is core and why it's so important.
1: Well, I I think part of the problem is, you know, you had a time period in the 90s and early 2000s where all back pain was created by weak muscles. And then specifically it became, oh, your transverse abdominis and your multifidi are weak. So they started separating the body into upper lower core. You know, and I think that's an easy way to discuss the core, but we have to remember that everything functions as one system. Um, so, for a lot of people, unless you are directly targeting it and they feel it there, they don't realize that with everything we do, the the core. And I'm using air quotes for for everyone who who's at home listening. Uh, the core is is working to stabilize us, to transmit force, to to do all of those things. So. I understand why they say that, but that's where education is is key. You have to let them know. It's like, hey, when you're pushing the lawnmower, your core is still working. Do you feel it in your core? No. Well, you need an efficient core structure to then allow you to push off of the ground and then still hold on to the lawnmower at the same time, assuming they're using a push mower. Um, so and that's, that's really what we're going to try to define more today. But um, let me ask you this. How many times have you... Have you seen people with what we would call a strong core mm-hmm. still have back pain?
0: Uh, depending on the situation, but it's more consistent than you might think.
1: Yeah. So it just happens. Yeah, where where right. we'd assume, oh, strong core, not going to have any back pain. Right. That's as about as wrong as we could be right there. Yeah. You know, Just assuming that a strong core is going to fix everything, then over the last... 10 to 20 years where there's been a greater emphasis on core training, we would anticipate that the prevalence of low back pain would go down. And it's not. You know What we do know is 60% of individuals are going to have back pain at least once in their life, generally resolves within three weeks, regardless of what you do for treatment. And then 80% of those individuals will go on to have recurrent back pain, which may also lead to chronic back pain. So we're all going to get it at some point you know, you, you can't avoid it. You know, it's just one of those things. So I think it's a matter of just understanding that it has less to do with a structural problem, has less to do with a strong core. You know, now if someone says, I'm I'm training to be fit, I'm doing full body exercises, um, that to me is far more important than, oh, I do planks, I do side planks and the reason why people do that is from Stuart McGill, the spine biomechanist. You know McGill's big three, so you can do your curl up, your bird dog, and your side plank. You know, and his reasoning for it was it offers the most amount of support with the least amount of stress on the spine. So if someone's in a lot of pain, or if you need to get those muscles engaged from uh, neurofeedback or just teaching the brain sequencing, I think those are fine to do. But is that functional? Right. You know, so if I have to go out back and pick up something and, and carry it, you know, 100 yards to the other end of my yard, you know, no no side plank is going to help me with that. No yeah. plank is going to help me with that. You know, loaded carries, deadlifts, uh, those things are going to help me with that. So, and that's, that's what I believe the focus will be today. By the time we're done, we'll talk about kind of our, our big bang exercises that people can do and still get that core benefit. And then if they still want to add in more core-specific uh, core exercises, we'll, we'll talk about that as well.
0: Yeah, and I think it's important. Like, So you were saying, you know, a good way to think about it is the stronger that your, you know, in quotes, core is, the more able you, you are to execute mm-hmm. movements just based on, you know, transferring force through the muscles. So, like, is it necessarily going to... um. Uh, fix your back pain, not necessarily, but because you're training your body to move as one piece, you're more liable to do the exercises in a better movement pattern, which in return will make it less likely for you to have back pain. It's kind of like a you know, it's like you move better so the pain is less rather than Doing core exercises relieves the pain, if that makes sense. There's kind of like a stepping process in between more than a.
1: Exactly. You know, and and there are plenty of people out there that can do their planks and do their side planks. And maybe it did help them. Yeah. You know, it could have just been movement in general, you know, activity. It could have just been stabilization. We don't know. So we're not saying don't do these things. Oh, yeah. But purely, you want to look at it as those things alone are not going to be the, the the end all be all you know you have to progress it at some point, you know, and even if you and after a while, and I think you can agree with this, if you just look at course specific exercises, you run out of ideas after a while or yeah. you have to start making circus tricks, yeah, and then at what cost now you're increasing the risk of injury, um, so then you can start loading up on. Again, we talk about farmer's carries, which you and I have discussed. If, if someone said, I have time for one core exercise, what should I do? Good, grab those two 40-pound kettlebells, walk 100 yards down and 100 yards back. Yep. You know, That's kind of the best thing. Plus, they're working on hip stabilization, balance, coordination, um, upper body strength and stabilization. There's just far too many benefits to pick up heavy things and walk with them, whereas a lot of people don't do that you know or if they do it they don't realize it's a core exercise. So
0: yeah, and I so when I when I define the core and um we talked about this a little bit a couple episodes ago, I think of anything from basically the knees to kind of the chest. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, your shoulders and your arms are involved, but like people tend to think again just the front, but the core in my opinion is those big primary movers, you know, knees up to the shoulderish areas. It's a much bigger...
1: Yeah, so I'd even go one step further and just say neck to knees. Yeah. You know, when we look at the the definition that... It was a couple of years ago. I think it was the International Journal of Sports Physical Therapy. They basically said any muscle that attaches to the axial skeleton, even if it terminates on the appendicular. So basically, okay. if it attaches to the spine or the other end attaches to the, the arms or legs, it's still part of the core. So now you think about it, You know the hamstring attaches to the knee distally and attaches to the ischial tuberosity, which is part of the pelvis, which is part of the, the axial skeleton. That's a core muscle. Mm-hmm. It means your butt muscle's a core muscle. It means your quad's a core muscle. It means the small little scalenes that attach to your first rib, that attach onto your neck, are part of the core muscle. And the scalenes are, are involved with breathing. They help with rib expansion which that's controlled from the diaphragm, which is the top of our pelvic canister, which is part of our core. We have so many freaking muscles to the (laughs) core, yet we usually think about our rectus abdominis, Mm -hmm. our internal external obliques, our low back paraspinals, our multifidi, and our TRA. So six things. Whereas we know there's a whole hell of a lot of muscles in there, and they all have to be trained at the same time. You cannot, you can't turn on one muscle. Even if you're doing crunches, you're still turning on all of them you know if you're doing planks you're still turning on the muscles in the back of you just like you're turning on the muscle in the front of you you can bias one side more than the other but they're all still working you know just like when we do paloff presses anti-rotation presses sure we're preventing rotation we're turning on the muscles that are preventing rotation or creating for that matter but all of them still have to work. And then your hip stabilizers work, your scapular uh, stabilizers have to work as well. So um, it's it, we're emphasizing it's all one system. You're not gonna try to, it's it's like spot reduction with fat loss. Yep. You, you cannot do spot reduction. So you can't just train your core. Something else is going to be used in the process. So if that's the case, we need to try to maximize it.
0: Right. So getting into some of the different functions here, um, so training core for performance, general movement, that kind of stuff. Um, the best way to think about it for performance, I find, is you know, you're, it's a transfer of energy, right? So the more that you can transfer energy from the ground, I mean, for any of you that have ever played baseball, for example, that's the one that I always think of because it's so arm-dominant. Mm-hmm. But if you've ever had a good coach, they're the, one of the first things you learn is that the power starts from the legs, whether you're yep. throwing, whether you're batting. You don't necessarily think, because obviously it's your upper body that's rotating, but everything starts from the ground. The more that you're able to transfer force from the ground to whatever appendage is doing the movement you're looking for, the stronger your core, the more succinct your core, the quicker your core can fire and then decelerate, the better your performance is going to be. Correct. And that's why it's so important to think about it as one piece, because if you're you know again throwing a baseball if you're pushing off if I'm a righty and I'm pushing off my right leg I have to be able to transfer the force efficiently from that leg to my arm before I release the ball if I have any sort of breaks in the chain if I you know come if my core comes untucked I mean you know there's whatever but you know if I'm if I end up leaning back almost which would cause me then you know the ball could go high I'm going to lose power like there's so many sure reasons that being able to transfer that force are important.
1: Well, I'd even say, let's take a look at that throwing motion one more time. When you push off the right leg, the left leg, you have a high leg kick, you step forward. Yep. That really initiates kind of the momentum forward. Your leg is going to hit the ground. You have to absorb the shock from your leg hitting the ground. Now all of a sudden it has to re-stabilize. So now you can transfer the force up through your trunk and you can get that acceleration through the acceleration phase with your arm. And then it's so left leg to right arm transfer force so that you can actually gain velocity. It's no different than in any other rotation sport. Throwing a javelin, throwing a discus, you know, hammer throw, a golf swing, yep. a baseball swing, a slap shot, whatever it may be. It, it has to be that, that generation of force, but also the controlling of force. Now, the only problem is I find with just the, the common exercises you'll find in the gym, and, and let's take sit-ups. We'll just mm-hmm. pick on sit-ups. Everyone still tends to do them or even crunches for that matter. You're not utilizing upper and the lower body to transfer force. You're creating motion and then most of the people don't even control it. You right. know They just shorten the tissue, relax, shorten the tissue, relax. Now, the only thing that I find that does for you is it can well two things it will actually create hypertrophy of the rectus abdominis so if you're a bodybuilder or figure model whatever it may be that can be beneficial Um, but what it also does it teaches you how to shorten your core you know so a lot of people especially if there's any type of chronic back pain associated with it um, it actually they they overlearn how to shorten the core and they kind of stay in that fixed position they've actually shortened too much Um, so, and then that causes other problems. So it's, it's a bad motor pattern to begin with. Um, so I'm not, I'm not fond of those types of exercises. Planks, you're neither lengthening or shortening, assuming someone's doing it the right way. So I'm not going to be too concerned with that, but still it's, you know, we, we, everyone wants to hear absolutes. You know, we talked about this with nutrition. They want core to be the same way, you know, you have back pain, do this. Well, the research shows that, you can still have strong muscles and there's no correlation between back pain and weak muscles. You know, a lot of people that have back pain have strong muscles based off of testing. You know, if I say, okay, let's do a plank test, people with back pain can hold it pretty long. Yep. Um, even if they, we did like a back endurance test, a lot of people can still hold it for like three minutes, but they still have back pain. So we we have to start to believe that there's less of a correlation between weakness of our core and that it there has to be more of a, a movement disorder or movement dysfunction that's probably associated with it. Um, so, again, we don't want to say don't train the core. But can we correct those dysfunctions and make the core more efficient? Not necessarily stronger, but more efficient.
0: Yeah, and I think, too, that a lot of times... And I don't know if you get this as much in... Probably more so when you're in the strength and conditioning realm more so than in the clinical. But I, I don't know. A lot of people similar to what I was talking about before, like we'll do, we'll go through a phase where we're not doing anything like that's crazy that they might super consider like a core, you know, like we're not doing a super long amount of planks or something like that. Stuff that they've heard is a core exercise. But, you know, we've been doing some heavy deadlifts for a few weeks, some heavy squats for a few weeks, and they'll come up and say like, hey, I think I need some more core exercises. And it's, and that's one of those things that's, like it, it's hard to get across the understanding that you're doing more core with a heavy deadlift than you, than you will do with holding a seven-minute plank. And there's just so much more involved. And again, having the body have to work together and all that stuff, it's just – it's kind of a – I don't know, a huge – Huge thing that most people don't quite understand how much you need to be able to do something like Yeah,
1: that. And, and I think if someone were to include heavy deadlifting or heavy squatting or heavy whatever it may be, I mean, because even if you think about a heavy bench press, which yeah. a lot of people yeah. don't think that's very functional exercise, your core still has to work. There's just no way around it. So I think if you could blend both ends of the spectrum, you know, I think people would have uh, – Better outcomes only because they're not just focusing on the core stuff. They're actually going to make their back more resilient from deadlifting. You know, it, it's not that we shouldn't avoid or shouldn't do deadlifting. We should become better at it. Right. You know, and that's what a lot of people don't understand.
0: Yeah, and I... And by the way, guys, when we say heavy, that's, that's relative. You know, just something that forces you to have to lift a little bit more than you might have the last time before. We're not talking about going out looking to shoot into you know lift 500 pounds off the ground if you are that's great but that's not quite that's not the the point we're getting at um and again those are the ones that that continue to reinforce that the whole body working as one piece the deadlifts the squats the you know you're basically you finish a deadlift essentially in a standing plank if you think about it that Mm -hmm. way i mean so you're your core is engaged and has to be engaged, and the only way that you can hold on to the bar without demolishing, you know, I don't want to say that because that's nope. I'm not going to just keep that just seconds. keep going with it. No, I was going to say without demolishing your back,
1: but I I don't
0: like yeah. It is if your core is is kind of locked in, right? I mean, if you're not, if you don't have the control over where the bar is, and that that's a little simplistic. There's way more that goes into it than that. So mm. don't get carried away with that. Your core being the reason for that specifically, but whenever you're holding on to something and having to use your legs your core has to work the the um, example you gave earlier with pushing the lawnmower the reason that you are able that the lawnmower moves is because your body is transferring force from your feet to the object with wheels the only way that happens is because it goes through your core the only other option is some sort of... I can't even imagine what that would be like. What, you take a step, and then you push them over forward, and then you stop, and you walk your feet forward, and you push them. I can't well, even what imagine. Well, what they
1: would probably do is they would actually lean forward at their back a little bit, have their arms locked out straight, and use that forward lean as leverage to start Oh, walking. I guess. Yeah. All yeah. right. Yeah. Or you could get the people that lean backwards to lock up their lumbar spine with a anterior pelvic tilt.
0: Oh, for that, <laughs> for that amount of time.
1: <clears throat> yeah. not Not worth it, but... You know, and, and, you know, people could say, oh, joke's on you. I use a self-propelled mower. <laughs> it's like, no, yeah, yeah, all right, joke is on me. But still, you have to control it. Right, Because yeah. if not, that thing's going to yeah, get away you from you, you.
0: Yeah, I hope you have a perfectly flat <laughs> – anyone around here have a perfectly flat backyard? <laughs> no.
1: I mean, that's core performance at its finest. Yeah. Oh, man.
0: My Yeah, I don't know if, about you. My Where I grew up, it's all – it's like – up the hill then back down the hill then walking across the hill sideways yeah. and yeah so yeah, yeah. the lawn for me has never been...
1: yeah you have to do everything you can to make sure it doesn't tip over and yep. roll down the hill yep. yeah <laughs> you know, or you even go up vertical and then you have to pull it back down yep. you have to slow it down yep oh god yeah that, that that's core training at its finest it's true um now when when we're looking at again more performance-based activities Uh, You know, you were giving examples of of what could be considered a core. Even, so you said a a stand-up plank position when you're in the top of the deadlift. Yeah. Even think of a a pull-up for that matter. A pull-up, you have to have a very stable core. If someone doesn't have a stable core, what typically happens to their body?
0: They either swing or at the bottom they like really i don't know if that's quite what you're getting
1: at yeah. but they really go into like extreme extension most of them will swing you can yeah. always tell the people that don't have a stable core and because and, they just start swinging back and forth and they can't control it when if their core is stable they should just be able to drop up and down right and when we talk about core stability we have to remember that core stability and core strength can be two different things core stability has to do with control so really the core at that point if someone's doing pull-ups the hands are fixed to the bar the arms are being stabilized by the rotator cuff and now the trunk has to stabilize itself so that the elbows can actually bend to pull the body up it's called the closed kinetic chain exercise because the hands are fixed so if the cord doesn't work the scapulothoracic muscles have to work a little bit harder and then your legs will just start swaying back and forth and that's why people start swinging but we also see that with deadlifting Mm -hmm. you know people get to the top of the motion you'll see them kind of give that little bit of a wiggle because their body's trying to find that stabilization point yeah then they have to unlock and usually you'll see them bend their spine real quick and then they have to come out of it and and again that's core stability that their body doesn't know how to sequence the movements that are uh, appropriate for that task so you know, when, when we say the word strength and stability, you know, we may use them interchangeable just for the ease of this conversation, but just just recognize that they're, they're two different things. You can have someone with a quote-unquote strong core that has poor control, mm-hmm. and then you can have someone who has a quote-unquote weak core that has great control. So, I mean, it's, we just yeah. have to remember that.
0: Think about it in terms of, you know, for those of you at home and people that are golfers, you know how many people out there that you know are golfers or play recreational softball, baseball, whatever, something that involves that rotational movement. You could have somebody that comes in that farmers carry, you know, farmer carries a hundred pound kettlebell in each hand, can hold a plank for five minutes, you know, but still has back pain or some sort of pain going through a golf swing. Mm-hmm. That person has a super strong core, but maybe they don't. Their body isn't able to. Uh, efficiently mechanize that when moving through a rotational they either you know create too much rotational speed and then can't decelerate mm-hmm. or they can't create a large enough amount of rotational force or power so then their arms are extra swinging. so again there's even more emphasis on the kind of slow down yep. and, and you know how often would you say and maybe i'm maybe i'm getting a little bit too out there on this people that have golfers tennis something that's that rotational power how often would you say that their ability to move through their core through their hips affects you know elbow shoulder issues that kind of thing
1: Oh, I'd say more often than not. Right. You know, and I, I don't think that's going too far out there. I think it's another end of the spectrum that we have to pay attention to, you know, whether we call it the kinetic chain or whether we call it regional interdependence, you know, how is every body part working along itself? It all has a, a it all has a task within the, the bigger task. You know, there's movement and then there's motions that need to occur along the kinetic chain. So especially with rotational sports, if someone's not rotating from their hips or through their thoracic spine, they can't generate the force that then needs to go through their core, through their arms, down the elbow, and so on and so forth. It slows down club speed. They may hit the ground too early, uh, and then that leads to the breakdown of tissue in other other places. You know, especially with golfers, just because we keep talking about them, I just tend to find they they don't rotate their hips enough. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of them will, will baseball swing it and try to get you know the Mark McGuire. Let me power it through with my arms. Yeah. And when a lot of them do that, they leave the club face open and they end up slicing the ball more often than not. So right. it's the people that can actually get their hips around them. By the time the club face gets to the ball, it's squared back up again, even if there's some type of a uh, flex in the, in the club. So um, you can usually tell, especially older golfers that have like a big gut, mm-hmm. they can't get their arms around their gut. So they usually can't open their hips, and then they end up leaving the club face open. So they have to close the club face off, hoping that they get back to neutral when they get actually hit it. So, yeah. For those
0: of you out there, John Daly is an anomaly. Yeah, he is he's, not.
1: and he's, he's he's lost some weight, so good for him. Yeah. with his big white Santa beard now, it's pretty remarkable.
0: He's hysterical. Uh, he, yeah. Oh, uh, John Daly. He's good. Right. He's good for the game. He he is. Um, I just think I do think it's funny how. And granted, we, you know, we probably don't do quite as much. I remember when I, I first started working with, there was a, a client I worked with online for a little while um, who was a big-time golfer. And I remember one of the first things that you know, we started working on some of this stuff was that he found that he wasn't, in his words, falling, he wasn't falling back when he would finish a swing. He said he always had trouble finishing a swing without being off balance. And mm-hmm. one of the things that, you know, that was one of the big things that we found was that, and again, that's that stability, that's that control, being able to finish that swing without falling forward, mm-hmm. back, left, right. um, And I think it's kind of counterintuitive too. For some reason there seems to be, and maybe it's just lack of knowledge, but people that, you know, I know that golf a lot – and have back pain, but then when you talk to them about rotational core exercise, or we're doing rotational core exercises of some kind, Are you know, ooh, I don't know if I should do this for my back. And, you know, it's, it's kind of like, well, yeah, maybe, but I also know that you're going out and playing 18 holes a couple times a week. I guarantee you yeah. that you're more liable to, if you don't do this now, you're more liable to run into an issue there.
1: I see that quite often too, but I think that's the... I think that's the nature of they they want to be out playing golf right. so they're they're willing to kind of overlook what that may potentially do to them versus they haven't done these exercises before is this really going to do it the rotation looks like it's going to hurt it's like if you rotate correctly you're not even going to hurt your back right. it's just plant your front leg and just try to spin your body over it yeah you know you should not be spinning from your low back we only have about 8 to 10 degrees of rotation at L5S1 and a lot of people Max out that 8 to 10 degrees. And that's why we have the highest rate of, of disc injuries at L5, S1. There's just no way around it. Now, if we can teach the body to actually rotate from the thoracic spine, rotate from the hips, guess what? We spare the lumbar spine. Holy shit, that's magical. Um, but it's just, people just, it's their lack of rotation with daily movements. They They just go for efficiency. So again, just like posture, then it becomes the habit of, and then that carries over to their other sports or recreational activities, daily activities, whatever it may be. Um, They generally stay in one plane or or they want to, um, I don't want to say most efficient, but they become lazy and they complete the task at all costs, right? which can also be dysfunctional movement.
0: And I think it's important to remember too that like, you know, we're told, there are some things that we're told that are not a hundred percent. Act, like rotational stuff, twisting. Let, let me use that word because that's the word that's that's usually used in a, a negative context <laughs> is twisting your back. You know, like we're yeah, – the, the example I think of is like when we're told to pick things up, you know, when oh, – you know, one of those OSHA type of things, right? Yeah. As as we're rolling our eyes a little bit. Like, what are the the things that they always tell you? Like, get low. Use your legs. When realistically, the most... Keep your
1: spine straight. Right.
0: Exactly. Where realistically, that is more liable... You are more liable to run into issues than if you, like, basically hinge to pick something up. And it's similar with rotational stuff. A lot of times what people are told is, okay, turn your whole body, which okay, fine, but you also should be able to rotate from side to side without having to completely, like, essentially get your toes going the same direction as your shoulders the entire time. Like, there's...
1: Yeah, and and I'd say very similar to squatting, very similar to running, with lifting something, there's good lifting and there's bad lifting. You know, lifting something off the ground is not bad for you lifting something off the ground with bad form is bad for you, you know? Squatting's not bad, bad squatting is bad. Running's not bad, bad running is bad. So, you know, that OSHA recommendation I always crack up about, because they want the object underneath you, they want you to keep your spine straight, which in their case, they mean vertical. Next thing you know, you lift up the object, all you're doing is just whacking yourself in the inside of the thighs with the object. Right. To me, it doesn't make sense. Plus, when when we look at natural squatting mechanics, we need that forward trunk lean. You know, whether, whether we have a strong core or not, it needs to happen, you know, and, and we've, we've just, we've become uh, too feeble of a, uh, of a society. You know, we just believe that we're fragile creatures that we're just going to fall apart one day. Right. And and that's, that's not the case. I mean, if everyone believes they're Humpty Dumpty, then they're going to fall apart. Yeah. And that's, that's you know god damn it we're here to put humpty dumpty back together and keep him there
0: all right so moving on to a little bit of the you know dysfunction pain relation type stu- stuff so what would you say that you run into most often i, I don't know if i if-, if i'm giving you too broad of a of a you know category here feel free to like <clears throat> narrow it down mm-hmm. a little bit but when it comes when somebody comes in with um i don't know if you want to call it back pain we can use that term if you want to what is like something you commonly see that are over, that's being overused, underused, you know, that kind of thing.
1: Sure. I think the one that comes to mind the most is, is the person that comes in with back pain that has an anterior pelvic tilt. You know, basically what they've done is they've created extension in their spine, so they're extension sensitive. Um, and what that does is it creates tightness in the hip flexors, weakness in the core because it's stretched out. The glutes can't do what they're supposed to. The low back is working all of the time and they say, I just think I need to do more core. I know my core is weak. All right, so if it's weak, why? Why do you believe that? Well, when I, do, when I do crunches, it hurts my back. It's like, well, you're laying on the ground. You're already in an arched world, and now gravity's trying to flatten you to the ground, and you don't like it. Well, it hurts when I do planks. Well, when you're facing the ground, gravity's shoving you down towards the ground. You don't have enough efficiency to bring yourself back to a neutral position so i wouldn't say that's weak your gravity is just exposing the compensation patterns that you're already using so i think that's a very common one i think what you'll also find too are the people that have had recurrent uh, episodes of back pain and what we'll typically see is well i don't do this i don't do that so they're just fearful to move more than anything well bend forward and then they they make up some movement pattern that they think is bending forward. Or I don't bend forward. I squat to pick things up. So they're on the other end of the spectrum where they've completely gotten away from it altogether. Um, what's funny with those people though? They'll usually be okay with rotating. Mm-hmm. You know, go ahead and twist. They twist fine. Go ahead and bend forward. Ooh, I don't know if I like this. Okay, go ahead and bend backwards. Another one that should probably hurt them. Oh. No problem with that. it's like, all right, something's not making sense because the two that should hurt are not hurting you. And the one that shouldn't hurt is the one that's hurting you or the one you're avoiding the most. So I'd say those are the ones that are are probably the most common that I see. But a lot of it has to do with just uh, what I would call compression syndromes. You know, it's just the hips are too tight the muscles above are too tight. Everything's already just getting squished to begin with. And then they sit on top of it, and then gravity squishes them some more, and then they go and load a bar in their back if they're working out. So it's just, it's too much compression. They just need to loosen up, but it, it very rarely is it a weak core.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's more about, again, we, we keep coming back to it's more about the, move, the dysfunction of the movement itself, like how they're moving through different exercises or just like in a daily, mm-hmm. you know, in their daily routine. Um, and a lot of times what is actually happening and when when you say like strong versus weak is the muscle and the strength is already there sometimes it's just learning to redistribute that Mm -hmm. like let's put it this way if you go you know from you know day one of training let's say you did planks every time you trained if you you know can't hold a plank without pain For 30 seconds your first week, but then you do a little bit each day and after two weeks, you're able to hold a two-minute plank. Well, you didn't just build, you know, all that muscle strength in two weeks. The strength was there. You just taught your body how to efficiently use the correct muscles with the correct amount of tension and the correct synchronization Mm -hmm. in order to put yourself in a better position. And often that's what we're – I mean, I love – I always find it funny and I, you know, uh, this is an example used quite often with people in class, with a loaded carry. Okay. Oh, I don't want to hurt my back, and so they, you know, they bend over and they pick up a 15-pound kettlebell. Okay, how much do you have cats? Yeah, I have two cats. How much is a how much is a thing of kitty litter weigh? Anywhere from 25 to 50 pounds. Do you carry that in the house? Yeah. Okay. You did a loaded carry, like that That literally is what it is. If you yeah. didn't have pain doing something like that, or you know, oh, I have back pain, okay, do you try and bring all the groceries in in one trip? Yeah, I guarantee you that those groceries weigh more than 15 pounds each hand, you, sure. you know, so it's, depending on the situation, we don't tend to think about those things being, you know, a, I don't know if you want to call it a core exercise, but you obviously have the strength because you can do it in those scenarios, You just kind of have to learn, you know, what's happening to help that with other movements. Mm -hmm. So, yeah.
1: I I think a lot of it is just based off the terminology of the the core, too. You know, unfortunately, it's been beaten into people's heads that it's only certain muscles and it has to be weak. It has to be this. It has to be that. How about just full body conditioning? Right. You know, you think of a loaded carry. It's just full body conditioning. You're using everything your core is going to get stronger, you know, unless you pick it up and fold over like an accordion, there's your core has to work. It's just the way that it is. You know, you cough a lot. You feel your core working, you know, it's going to work. I mean, I'll even bring people out to the ski ergs here and say, don't use your hips at all. Just use your arms. Oh yeah. And then as soon as they initiate against the resistance, they can feel the core muscles working. And all that is, is a standing plank. Yep. You know, and that's, that's what I try to get across to people. So, you know, there, there's a lot of variations that we can start to use if people don't like to get on and off the ground and and we'll start to talk about those. But I talked about the one exercise where most bang for your buck, one exercise that I can do to train the core. For me, it's loaded carries. Farmer walks. I don't care if it's, you know, unilateral dumbbell, kettlebell, whatever, both sides, just pick up something and walk with it. The trap bar is a great place to start. Um, if you had to choose an exercise and it may be the same one what's what's your one core exercise that you 're picking
0: I mean yeah, I think that would be my number one um, just because it can be mm-hmm. so well mm-hmm. progressed and regressed if you have somebody that really doesn 't have that dynamic stabilization, okay, so you do a tall kneeling you know hold, both knees down, just working on that correct pelvic positioning under tension mm. and then like you know as they can do that then it's standing, then it's walking, then it's you know progressing this way that way. Um, if you want to pick, an, I'll pick another one because you just talked about that one, but that is my number one. Um, I really have continued to become more and more of a fan of the anti-rotational pal-off presses. Yeah. Um, yes, it's working on anti-rotation, so your ability to control rotation, which is important, as we talked about with golfing and all that sort of stuff. Like, Yes, because what's happening is you know, you, it doesn't allow one side to take over and, you know, you want to get to a point where you can do an anti-rotation press, but you can also rotate under control with some sort of, you know, resistance, whether it's a med ball throw, whether it's a, you know, a, a hat or a chop, you know, with a band or with yep. a cable or whatever, or a raise, which is just a reverse chop. But the anti-rotation presses are also such a great exercise for hip stability too, Um and that's one of the reasons I've started to like the side plank and the lateral bridging and stuff more, too, is, is not even necessarily as much from the core, the lateral core, but the lateral hip stability as yep. well. So I think anti-rotation presses are probably my number two after a loaded carries.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and, and you and I have talked before about deadlifting, you know, and I'm a fan of conventional deadlifting, but I think in the case of... The trap bar, and and again with the trap bar, we also have to, to define, is someone doing a trap bar squat versus a trap bar deadlift? You mm-hmm. know, sometimes the those terms are used interchangeably. Uh, with a squat, you're going to be dropping the hips down a little bit more, using a little bit more knee drive versus a, a deadlift. The weight shift is going to be back a little bit further, so the hips can come up higher. Either one, I think, is fine. Uh, I would say if someone said to me, pick three or four core exercises that I can do in a circuit. I would start off with a trap bar deadlift, mm-hmm. go immediately into my carry with mm-hmm. the trap bar. I would jump out of that. I'd grab a med ball and I would do med ball slams mm-hmm. and then I would do rotation throws. You know, so I'm yep. working on power, strength, and I'm working on stabilization. So to me, that would be like ideal, like a great finisher at the end. To really work on the core
0: let me ask you a question i want to hear your your thought on this because it just popped in my head and then i'll kind of give you mine how do you feel about i don't know how to put this exactly rotational strength like do you feel that it's necessary for somebody to take a 30 pound ball and do rotational slams or throws with it no Okay, I feel exactly the same. I
1: I think 30 pounds is too much.
0: Yeah, I think if you're what you're trying to do with rotational, whether it's a med ball, a band, or a cable, whatever, is teaching your body to be able to accelerate and decelerate. Correct. And you can't accelerate or decelerate nearly as well if you try and throw, other muscles are going to have to be involved. If you're trying to throw that much weight unless I mean I don't know if you're some kind of crazy Olympic thrower that's or something I, yeah that, that, that's a lot of weight that's right that then maybe I don't know I'm not a I'm not a coach for an Olympic you know thrower but it just doesn't seem and you know well, but that's what people will want to do they're like oh this ball feels light give me a 15 then or throw it like, harder yeah exactly that's exactly throw it faster. how I feel yep. put
1: it put it through the goddamn floor throw yep. it through the wall like don't strength Again, if we go back to our force velocity curve, forces on the the, the y axis, velocities on the x axis, strength is gonna be a slower velocity. So it depends if your goal is strength. For me, anytime I'm using a med ball, it's for for power mm-hmm. or I'm looking at speed strength. Yep. So my goal is to throw that ball as hard, as fast, you know, as I can. Doesn't matter if it's gonna be a vertical displacement, horizontal displacement, rotation, doesn't matter. Um, but that's going to build that, that it's a type to me, it's a type of resistive plyometric. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm taking into account the stretch shortening cycle, you know, so I I'd use it in the same, same way that I would use box jumps, you know, I'm, I wouldn't weight a box jump, Right. you know, and that's just, it's asinine to do that. So I think once we start getting into the, the heavy med ball slams, I think it's a great potential, uh, potential for strength. mm mm-hmm but also the increased risk goes up too because now you're, you're twisting heavy against resistance. Right. You have a heavy ball over your head. You know What if it slips and you hit yourself in the head? I'd much rather hit myself in the head with a six pound ball right. than a 30 pound ball. And, and again, there's gonna be greater carryover from that velocity that we just gained from controlling or creating acceleration or deceleration. Um, and then that may carry over to my strength exercises my squat, my deadlift, my overhead press, whatever it may be, bench press, right. because now I, I can learn how to push those the, uh, the the motor thresholds. the The rate of force development is going to be higher because more muscles know what to do. Right. So hopefully, hopefully that <clears throat> makes sense.
0: Yeah, I mean that's that's how I feel about it too. Um, I mean, if we think about like rotation stuff in terms of, you know functional everyday life and what you're doing. How often are you rotating with something that's heavy, but that you're not using your, you know, like think about your landscaping and you pick up a big rock and you want to put it, you know, you're facing this way, but you want to toss it over there. Are you setting up and I'm standing because I need to do this out, but are you setting up and like whipping it? Or are you just like essentially doing like a squat to the side? No, use your legs and you push off with your legs. It's not the same thing as throwing something and actually aiming for rotation of the trunk.
1: Yeah, and and I would say to that, you know, they're not doing it for 100,000 reps. Yeah, right. You know, really what they're aiming for is one repetition. Let's get that rock out of the way so that we can continue our work. Yeah. So I think for one repetition, it's fine. But when people come to the gym and they're doing high rep stuff you know, again, uh, lowering the the force, increasing the velocity, I think is going to have far more carryover. Plus we know it's going to stimulate type two muscle fibers, which again, as we get older, we tend to get away from that stuff just due to the fact of age-related muscle wasting, the bigger, stronger muscle fibers tend to go first. So our our goal should be, let's prevent that from happening. Let's slow it down at least. But uh, I, I think you can agree that a lot of our power- our power based activities or or exercises have a large component of core strengthening or core stabilization to them. I would also say that most adults, unless they're working out somewhere where a trainer's designing something for them, they don't put enough power based exercises into their program. No, you know, and I'm not discussing power training. I'm talking speed. Yeah. Um, you know, even a six or eight pound med ball, and again, throw it as fast as you can, slam it into the ground. You know, I think that just has far more functional carryover than let's get on the crunch machine today and do 75 reps. Right. I mean, if, I, if you can do that, that's awesome, but you gotta be more efficient with your, your time. And you gotta think about all the other benefits that come with it, you know, especially with a loaded carry. If you pick an appropriate weight and you say walk 100 yards, that now becomes a cardiovascular movement too. You know, so now you're getting cardiovascular benefits. You're getting the strengthening benefits. You're getting the motor control benefits. Um, so, so we should. This is how we should be looking at exercises. What's the greatest bang for our buck?
0: Right. And I think the other thing too is that you know, if people in their outside lives, whether it's you know whether they're training for performance or just to be healthy, you're more they're more liable to get hurt on something happening fast than something happening like so. You know, somebody is less likely to get hurt on, you know, picking up something heavy off the ground than they are if they're not paying attention and they're walking their dog and their dog shoots to the right and they're not expecting it. Mm -hmm. You know, things that happen, that's why that being able to not only create force but also control that force on a lateral throw or something like that is so important because if you're going to get hurt it's more liable to be from something happening fast whether you expect it or don't expect it than it is from you know something happening slow Mm -hmm. so that again in it so that's you need to train for things that are going to happen fast and the only way to do that is through power if you can't throw the ball fast you're not training power you're training strength and it's not necessarily necessary in these situations
1: i i would absolutely agree with that you know and then I mean, if we could if we could take away core training as we know it today, mm-hmm. do you think someone's performance would suffer? No. So, all right, good. <laughs> well, I, I was going to explain it more, but you knew exactly what I was saying. The way that people train their core now does not carry over to performance. No. You know, planks, side planks, all those things are good, but there's no functional carryover to the sport that they're trying to do. Now, if you said... You can only do core exercises, but you can't do deadlifts. You can't do squats. You can't do loaded carries. You can't do all the other stuff. Yeah. Do you think their performance would suffer? Yes. Yes. I was gonna.
0: Say, I was gonna see if you allow if you allowed me to keep loaded carries in there, but you pulled those away. No. So yeah.
1: No. If you pull those out, because that's that's yeah. too functional to begin yeah. with. But so. I think it's t- we have to reframe what the core is. We have to to reframe what core exercises are. Mm-hmm. We have to reframe what the current core exercises are doing to us from a performance standpoint. Again, from a from an exercise standpoint we know what they do, but is it relating to performance, you know? And we also have to if if someone says oh I go to Planet Fitness they won't let me do barbell deadlifts they won't let me do this they won't let me do that all right fine stick the planks side planks I think that's fine you know do your bird dogs do whatever you want um, now if someone said to me I'm working on planks side planks bird dogs inverted bird dogs whatever you choose to call them. Um, as a way to increase kind of my, my core control, mm-hmm. you know, just to focus on getting everything moving, creating an awareness to it. I'd say great, yeah. that I'm fine with. But the second they say I'm I'm, I'm doing a plank for performance, like uh, to do a good plank, what's considered good, you have to hold it for two to three minutes.
0: Right.
1: When's the last time you held a plank for three minutes?
0: Yeah, no, it's been a long.
1: Been. It sucks. It's yeah. boring. Yeah, it's but bo- yeah, who right. wants to do that yeah. anyways? at a minute I'm like F this I'm not doing this anymore right. at what cost so it's just and then you had like the navy seal that held it for like 16 hours yeah like his wife was feeding him as he was <laughs> doing the plank yeah like I have, I have better things to do with my time right um, I have this thing called life I have to keep up with so holding a plank for 16 that's cool it's impressive yeah circus trick now I'm sure that guy works on a lot of performance training oh, and, yeah. he's, and he only practices the plank to practice the plank um, you know, it's like standing on a stability ball. It's cool if you can do it. It's not doing shit for you. Right. So, any other exercises that you think are important for the listeners?
0: No, I think that I think that those are the big ones. Um, and I think if you're, because I mean, you can do those, all of those, so many different ways. Yeah. I mean, you can do an anti-rotation press. You know bilateral feet wide feet close together you know split stance single leg
1: high low do it with a step up yep do it with a
0: step up you can i've done it you know like a rear foot elevated you do a split squat hold the weight hold the band out the whole time you know
1: like there's well even you look at doing a front-loaded step up that now becomes an anti-flexion press so you can spin anything into this you use the appropriate amount of stress create a stimulus and we're going to get that. Plus, if someone's holding a weight in front of them and stepping up, mm-hmm. I mean, look at the performance factor there. Right. I mean, that just, you're creating triple extension on the, on the front leg, creating power and your core stabilizing so that the kettlebell or whatever object doesn't rip you forward. Right. I mean, it's just, everything we do is a core exercise. Yeah. Everything. And as long as we keep thinking of that that way, how are we challenging the core Maybe someone draws their awareness to their core when they're carrying something. Yeah, um, you know, it, it's pretty remarkable what feels easier once the core is actually working the way it's supposed to. You know, even even just a simple back row. You know, one of the things mm-hmm. I do to help people become more aware of their their core is I'll have them stand with a band and do a regular back row, and I'll say, okay, now what I want you to do is tighten your stomach and squeeze your butt. And then when they do it, they say, oh, I actually feel my stomach working. It's like, Mm -hmm. yeah, because you've created tension there. You're now showing your body what it should do. And then I'm like, what else do you notice? They're like, oh, my arm feels like it's actually moving easier. Yeah, because you created that control and stability just from drawing awareness to it. So and then the goal is, okay, now next time I go to do it, my body should be that much better prepared. And then it just becomes more of a sequencing or an automatic process.
0: Yeah, I think, well, I'll use it a lot of times with um, like hamstring curls too, Somebody just, like, cannot do them because their hamstrings either cramp or they just, like, aren't strong enough. And I'm using that in quotes because usually it's not that their hamstrings aren't strong. It's usually that they're pre, pre-stretched pre because of however they're doing it. Correct. You press a kettlebell straight up towards the ceiling or something like that to help engage that. And you'd be surprised how many people are like, oh, this is, this is weird. Like, right. I'm able to – it's actually easier for me to pull the – I always think it's funny because whenever I make something – in quotes, easier for somebody, they're always, they're always uh, weirded out by that because yeah. I'm so they're so used to me making things, like, in quotes, more difficult, usually yeah. just AKA doing them, like, more correctly, but sure. so it is, like, in that, like, who would think, why would you think that pressing something with your arms would make it easier for you to do something where you're doing a, like, your hips are up and you're pulling your heels back and forth against the ground, yeah. like, but it does. Because that's how the core functions is one yep. solid piece. Absolutely. All right. You have anything you want to add, Ross? Or
1: no, I, I think we we hit it enough. So hopefully everyone understands or has a better understanding of what the core is and how we should be uh, defining it and, and how to train it. Um, but it, it really doesn't have to be that hard, you know. And hopefully that's the one thing you take away after each podcast. Is really trying to break it down to its most simplest form, and as long as we can do that, you know, people will continue. Uh, continue to improve.
0: Yeah, for sure. So guys, uh take a look at the description, has all our links to all our different pages. Ross has his uh, ask Ross anything tonight, correct? Tonight. At 7:30. Yep. So 7:30 Eastern time. Um today is what? The 21st, just in case anybody's uh April 21st, in case anybody's listening to this later on. So, if you want the link to uh, his Fit for Life PT page where he does that every other Thursday night, the link to that's in our, uh, the description for the episode as well. Um, just jump in. You can ask him any questions you have relating to sports performance, nutrition, uh, you know, pain here or there, anything all that kind at all. Of stuff. Pretty much anything. So, all right, guys, until next week, I am out. We are out.
1: Take care.